0: Hello and welcome to the Hockey Assist a Basketball Podcast. <laughs> We have conversations that give basketball fans deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here is my co-host, Riley Gaucher. What up, Mr. Cope?
1: How are you this fine Tuesday? Actually, I don't know. Is it Wednesday in Bangkok?
0: It's a beautiful Wednesday morning here in Bangkok. Um blue skies some clouds floating around the view out the window is is quite nice as it is every morning so i oh i can't i can't wish you a happy
1: 420 then is that what i'm what i'm hearing
0: no my my 420 was yesterday and um <clears throat> sadly went uncelebrated just due to the illegality of a lot of things in this country oh but uh yeah, that's that's right I am supportive of my brothers-in-arms back home, properly celebrating the holiday. I, but anyway, uh, I was,
1: uh, for some reason, awake at 4.20 a.m. this morning, and I uh, heard, heard a lot of my neighbors having a grand old time, so, so that was funny.
0: The fact that you were up at 4.20 this morning doesn't even surprise me in the slightest bit, nor yeah. will it surprise many of our listeners, <laughs> but uh, what can we've been... We've got to jump into this episode because we've got a lot to talk about and not enough time to do it. So we're going to jump straight into the shoot around. And the opening topic that I want to bring up is the New York Knicks, because the New York Knicks have been getting a lot of love lately on a few different podcasts, on a few different articles floating around the internet. And uh, the Knicks are being celebrated as having turned things around, right? Right that even though this season may not go any higher for them than the sixth seed in the East, if they're lucky, a second round appearance, even though their their ceiling isn't much beyond that, they're being celebrated as a successful season for a, a few reasons. Mainly, number one, is that they, for the first time in a long time, have young players who are good, and control of their picks. And secondly, that the culture around the team has shifted from the negative funk around James Dolan and around uh, Phil Jackson. And people are pointing towards the hiring of Tom Thibodeau and the culture he's installed and gotten buy-in from his young players is something that is going to potentially make New York a place for free agents to go to. No longer is it just the Mecca of basketball, but it's a Mecca of basketball with promise. Okay, and I can actually back it up a little bit. And the first thing I want to say is congratulations to all the Knicks fans out there. It's been since Sanity in 2012, since you've had a little bit of fun in your fandom. And uh, this is big. This is huge. The playoffs are a big deal. And Julius Randle is a legitimate all-star. and I want to say congratulations to all of you. But I do not Oh, there it is. There it is. I do not want to give my sign of approval just yet. I do not believe that the Knicks have turned the corner from a dysfunctional franchise to newly reborn franchise, okay? And here's here's my reasoning for that. All right? It comes back to Tom Thibodeau because Tom Thibodeau is the person who is largely credited with this cultural turnaround. But Tom Thibodeau has a pattern as a head coach that he has followed to a T in his two previous stops. And now is he's continuing to follow in New York. And that is show up, turn around a franchise that had previously been moribund and sad, have some fun in his first season or two, and rely heavily on veterans and just piling on a ton of minutes onto his starter's legs. Okay. Now he's done that again in New York, giving minutes to guys like Reggie Bullock, Derek Rose, and Alfred Payton over uh, maybe some of the more developmental projects, such as Obi Toppin and Emmanuel, Emmanuel quickly that the Knicks want to see. And a lot of the a lot of the sports writers out there are saying, oh, yeah, he's he's not giving as much minutes as you'd like to the rookies, but he's still there's still reasons to celebrate. And I don't know if getting R.J. Barrett and Julius Randall, who are, I believe, to both be legitimate franchise cornerstones, maybe not the superstar you need Ooh. to compete, but both guys that could play winning basketball. OK, hold up. Hold up. I have to. I have to get into this
1: then. So for you, somebody can be a franchise cornerstone without being someone like a top five guy in the league that could take you to a title.
0: If, if you want to get down to the semantics of the phrase, I, yes. I do. I, I, love, I yes. love. semantics. sorry. Because I would make the very strong argument, and I know you would agree with me that Clay Thompson and Draymond Green were franchise cornerstones and are franchise cornerstones for mm. the Golden okay. State okay. Warriors. Sure sure and neither has been better than a top 10 player at the league at one time
1: yeah okay okay i i yeah i guess when you first said it i was thinking to me a franchise cornerstone has to be a top 10 you know puts your team a contention sort of player but i think you can have cornerstones and still not have that and so i think i i i'm i'm buying what you're selling as far as uh, Julius Randall and, and RJ Barrett now. Got it. Sorry. I, I love it. Please, there,
0: Every building does have four cornerstones. There are four corners to, to most every building. But yeah, just, just, to, just to sum up, I uh, like to believe what history tells me until I'm proven otherwise. And Tom Thibodeau's strategies have been short-term fixes to long-term problems with the two past franchises that he's been a part of. And if he's, things start slipping, if injuries pile up, and they don't get that superstar, what is Dolan going to do to Thibodeau? What do you, what say you about the about the Knicks' uh, status, Riley?
1: Yeah. Um, so I mean, as you were describing this, I was thinking about a man from an entirely different sport, but one that has caught the uh, even even the sports savvy people in America by storm this week, which is European soccer. And the parallels between Tom Thibodeau and Jose Mourinho are, are fascinating. I'm not sure if you are well aware of Mourinho's reputation and, and his history but being the, quote unquote, the special one. You know, he, he won in a series of like 10 years. I just read a, an article on The Ringer last night to, to get kind of some of these. Um, facts, but in a series of ten years, he won like four Champions League titles with with Porto. Uh, you know, a random, relatively random Italian team. He, he went back and forth to Chelsea, you know, Real Madrid. Like he had just sensational success all over all over the uh, the continent, and then you know he he really started to fall off, and now has not won like a major major title in any of the last three stops um, that he's made, and was just fired by. Tottenham uh yesterday morning um for for really grinding on people and so the the comparison though is that he loves to play defensive slow style right like he he is one of the only managers in in uh, modern soccer that that is trying to control the game without the ball without possession which is I think very analogous to the way that Thibodeau likes to pay just a glacial pace right like just have as few possessions as possible you know really rely on his stars to do a lot of work. Um, and so I think that those parallels are strong. And I personally have no trust in, in Mourinho. Like I knew right as soon as he was hired by his most recent club that it was never going to work and I was just waiting for him to get fired. But I do have a little bit more faith in Thibodeau. And I'm, I'm gonna give you a couple reasons. One, I think the biggest problem when he was in both Minnesota and in Chicago were personnel decisions. Right. Like I think if he's given the right, you know, players and and has someone who's going to tell him no, then, then he can do a really good job with what he's given. He does not, yes, set your team up for long-term success because he's not thinking about health and, and longevity. But I think you know, the Jimmy Butler thing first in Chicago, right? Was they decided they didn't want to pay him. we all have seen now that he was fully worth that status as a cornerstone as a top 10 guy. And so I, I think, you know, that situation, Sourgar, packs were just, you know, terrible, terrible GMs. And then Thibodeau should never have been given like personnel authority in Minnesota because I think he was having success, right? Like he he did have some, some you know, flustered uh, relationship with Cad and Wiggins, but, you know, Wiggins actually really liked him and he liked Wiggins and, and that, you know, he, he had some of his better seasons in Minnesota with Thibodeau. So I, I tend to think that, the broad sense, you're right. Like this is a, a short term fix, and I don't know how long it's gonna go, but I have hope because they do have some young players. Like you said, they they've got a good balance and, and you know, Derek Rose is not gonna last forever. So I think that there's a chance that this actually turns into something meaningful for for the Knicks. I don't know if it's like, oh, long term title contention, but I, I do think, you know, having uh Steve Perry, is that the current GM? No, someone else.
0: Leon um, Rose is the president. Leon Rose,
1: thank you. Yeah, having, having, you know, what appears to be a, a competent person in the front office and then just a competent culture, even if the, the the fish rots from the head and like Dolan is ultimately the problem, I think establishing a little bit of consistency and a little bit of just professionalism is going to do wonders for their ability going forwards. And I'm excited for their future.
0: I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. They, the, I, they, they're absolutely not a franchise without hope. And Randall is, like I said, a player who I can see being on a successful team. RJ Barrett is, uh, I has the ceiling, I think, of one of the better 3 and D players in the league, if not a perennial all-star, but a, a solid, solid player. And Mitchell Robinson, at the very least, is going to be able to provide vertical defense uh, throughout the year and quickly. And who knows what Ob Toppin is. They've got a future but I need to see it from Tom Thibodeau before I can believe it.
1: Sure. Sure. I, I think the one thing else I would add is that like, I, I do think even if he's not playing young guys enough, we have to give him credit for the development that we're seeing in those young guys, right? Like RJ Barrett, as far as I was concerned last year was pretty damn close to a bust, right? Like he just, he, he, he was the epitome of that draft class being kind of weak after the the top two of and of Zion. And so, having just, you know, seen him like make meaningful strides for Randall to who has been a very good player. Like I have really liked since Laker days, but, you know, seeing him blossom and be able to employ his skills and, and have meaningful improvement in his like vision and his ability to shoot, like all of that, I think, you know, we have to say, okay, either we pretend like Thibodeau had nothing to do with it, or we say he is beneficial for some, for some young dudes, even if his, you know, strategy and, and, management of the team isn't isn't developmental focused you know i hear you okay let's move should we move along? yeah let's transition to
0: our next topic real quick um because the the recent news cycle surrounding the nba has has not been one of pure excitement like we had at the beginning of the season to have the nba back to have some wonderful storylines and basketball being played Recently, Fred Van Vliet gave an interview where he said that this is the most impure basketball season he's ever been a part of, citing the NBA's desire to make money uh, being the even more of the driving force of the NBA season than normal. And a lot of people are kind of looking around and saying, you know what, Fred, you're right. And I think the recent... Span of injuries that have come from guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis, who only had 71 days off between uh, their title win and their uh, title defense, and now we're we're losing guys like Kawhi and Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, who went deep into the playoffs or were in the playoffs in the bubble last year. What do you what do you think, Riley? Is is Fred VanVleet right in saying that this is an impure basketball season
1: um you know i i have to disagree a little bit and get back to some of the conversations we've had on previous episodes on this podcast right it's like what did they want the league to do you know i think were they prepared to sacrifice money to have a more pure season to have a safer season i would argue no and so i think if if that had been an option and and they had stood up and said yeah okay we're gonna you know we're gonna take less or we're gonna you know sell, tell the owners we're all gonna take less because it's important for us to stay healthy i think i could respect this take a little bit more um but I, I just tend to you know the the league did shorten the season they've managed um covid you know decently as far as compared to other sports like baseball last year and, and whatnot and so, I, I, I get where he's coming from and I, I do sympathize. And I, I think that the, the injuries are really unfortunate. Um, And I, I agree with some people who have said that there's the sense that they were happening more often, but I'd love to see the data on that. You know, I don't know. And I, I'm sure there probably is some sort of link, but I just have, I have the feeling that I've enjoyed this regular season Um, and there seems to be lists like, you know, I heard Bill Simmons say the other day, it's been an awful regular season. There's nothing exciting and, nothing going on and i just maybe i'm totally on the outlier but i've really had fun watching it and had fun following it and you know seeing the suns and the the jazz like rise and you know the the nets be crazy and the the sixers start to figure themselves out it just i don't know i think it's been a good season i think it's hard to have normalcy without fans without regular pacing you know without the off the time off that, that of course these guys need it just to me, it's like, well, what could have been done differently is, is where I come down on it. And so I, he's right, but it's also like, okay, if you want purity, go somewhere, you know, like go to Australia and play in the NBL because they've managed to return to normal, right? Like, otherwise, it's just kind of the reality of of the world at this moment. Is that is that not sensitive enough? Is that, where do you come down?
0: No, uh, you're absolutely right in that this is the reality the league was facing, you know, and the NBA, like, all sports leagues in the pandemic has been losing viewers and losing money that's not just an nba thing that is an mlb and even nfl phenomenon um it, i would classify it as unfortunate because like jamal murray's injury was heartbreaking you know where we uh, lose a true title contender due to the fact that his ACL decided to explode and not getting to see LeBron and AD at full strength is really disappointing. I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that uh, guys like Donovan Mitchell and Kawhi are able to come back healthy and whatnot. So I would label the parts of the season as unfortunate, Despite the fact that there have been wonderful storylines and wonderful things popping up left and right that have been made for really fun basketball viewing and fan ship. But yeah, so anyway, I think we're going to have a, a long conversation today with our main topic. So let's quickly transition to the minutia minute. Riley, are you ready?
1: Sure. I, I am. I only have one thing on the docket today, and I think it's going to make me sound like a little bit of a hater, but I'm I'm not afraid from least' take. So I'm not sure, Nolan, if you saw Miles Bridges' fantastic dunk the other night where he postered, uh, I believe, Clint Capella, posterized Clint Capella. I did. And, you know, the, the clip made the rounds on the internet, especially because of the Hornets broadcast and the way that broadcaster Eric Collins reacted. And, then, you know, he got a lot of love for this. Um, and I personally didn't, didn't enjoy that call. And, you know, there's been some articles written about him recently, and I I think he's a great broadcaster and I think he's very good at his job. And I think I might've even praised him and Del Curry earlier in this podcast, but I, I want to be contrarian for just 30 seconds and say the, the energy that he delivers for like tons of highlights surrounding the Hornets, um, makes these sensational plays that are happening come off as as less special a little bit right like his his energy has been at 11 for first for like you know clutch free throws he 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 had a i saw a clip of him losing his shit over some clutch free throws um and so i think i am i am a big fan of broadcasters who use the like you know a dash or a, a sprinkling of excitement to 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 really like jazz up the moment and to to highlight the special qualities of a specific play. And it's a, it's a problem I have with my local announcer too, Bob Fitzgerald is just that when, when everything is amazing, nothing is right. And so I, I, am going against the grain and I'm saying, I wish he would, he would tone down things a little bit so that when Miles Bridges uncorks my favorite dunk of the year, the whole, whole announcer kind of environment and, and, and moment that is created feels unique and feels like it matches the severity of that hammer. That's all I have to say about that. Do you have, do you have a thought real quick before we move on or?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there definitely should be like a, uh, a level of degrees to the dunks and amazing plays that are made in, uh, in the NBA where, uh i i want the announcers to get pumped up you know if they're normally at a three and if there's a good dunk they better be at a seven or an eight but definitely like you said saving the 10s and 11s for the 10s and 11 dunks I, th- I think could could bring a, a little bit of that uh that gravity to the moment that it uh demands but Ooh, Riley, actually, so i have a pr- i have a perfect
1: segue just let me. All right, go for mind. it. Do it. Do it. Do so it. so the, the perfect example of this is right. Mike Breen has his bang and he brings out the double bang. I don't know, three or four times in his entire life for things that were truly remarkable. The, uh, the most famous obviously being about today's main main subject, Steph Curry in Oklahoma City to win the game from 40 feet. Uh, and so that, I think that's just a perfect example of having having levels to this shit, and and you know knowing when something is truly remarkable. Speaking of Stephen Curry, Nolan, we have talked about him before. We have considered him as as a potential MVP candidate, but he has been doing something over the last eleven games that, frankly, boggles the mind a little bit. Do you have do you have an introduction for this segment that you wanna you wanna throw us out there?
0: Uh, we, we did mention, we have mentioned Steph Curry on this podcast before we mentioned it when wondering about Steve Kerr's season building strategy. We mentioned it in our MVP episode when you labeled Steph Curry as your MVP of the season. And, uh, I saw, I saw this amazing, uh, tweet pop up the other day where it was like, 2021 Steph is what you would get if you had 2016 Steph playing like 2006 Kobe Bryant, where you are the offense go nuclear and this is what i was hoping to see out of steph curry last year but we were robbed of that due to his uh injury and we're finally getting to see it and riley i think it is only appropriate since it will tie in with our main topic of the day to give you a few minutes to appreciate your your favorite basketball player in the association so take it away sure um
1: you know this is this there's there's been you know so many words spilled over this that i'm not sure that i can do it justice any better than anybody else has but what i will say is that these are the runs that steph has been on there was a road trip in that 2016 um season um where it was basically a whole month that it might have even been february or april um a springtime thing because steph is known to improve his play after the all-star break it's just kind of how he he's always played uh, there was a run like this that happened, and that was the, the season that took it from, oh, holy shit, to this is historic, to the greatest offensive season of all time. And I say that without any any sense of hyperbole. Um, if you If you are interested in really great basketball content, check out Ben Taylor and Thinking Basketball on YouTube. He just did a series of 15 videos where he went through the greatest two- or three-year peaks of, uh, superstars and, and, you know, talked about their things that they did well, things that they did, you know, poorly and, and, uh, eventually ranked them. And he had Steph, uh, all things encompassing, I think seventh. And then he had Steph just on offense as the greatest, um, two or three year peak in NBA history. And he considers that 2016 year to be the greatest season offensively in history. And so that's not somebody who, you know, uses hyperbole a lot. So I I take that opinion and and I run with it. Um, All of that is to say that like back then and, and, and right now I, I set aside my life to turn on the TV and watch Warriors games even more than normal. Right. Because there's just a sense that even as much as we all expect every shot stuff to take, to go in, it, it happens to some degree. Right. But now it feels like it's every single time it just, it, and he's doing things that the confidence, the swagger, the, the creativity are off the charts, the just the, the willingness to try stuff that should not work is, is ridiculous and it's, it is working. That's the, the most absurd part. Um, I, to put all of this recent run in context, Steph has been playing with what has been graded as like the worst superstar spacing in the NBA this season. His teammates just don't create space for him to work because they have no gravity, because they can't really do anything. Right. Draymond has started to score better recently, but he he's he's scared of the basket. My man, like if he couldn't, if he didn't have to shoot, he never would ever again. I, I firmly believe that. Um, and so he's doing that with worse teammates. He's averaging more points now than he did in his unanimous MVP season on higher efficiency with worse teammates. And so that, it just, like, I thought I would never see anything that surpassed 2016 because, you know, to average 30 and lead the league in shooting, you know, not just uh, guards, not just perimeter players, to lead the league in efficiency and volume is, like, break your brain. And he's not quite leading the league in efficiency this year, but he is now the leading scorer uh, catching Bradley Bill. And it's just, it's it leaves me at a loss for words because it's so much fun. And it's the only thing keeping the warriors out of the cellar, and and only thing allowing them to win some of these games. Which uh, it makes me so grateful and and appreciative that I get to watch him, and that he gets to brighten my life a little bit with the the things that he can do and the the way he does them. Because it's it's really a joy to to enjoy.
0: And I really want to stress how. Impressive it is to score immense amounts at an incredibly high efficiency, because uh, guys like Russell Westbrook, who've scored insane amounts of points over over the last half decade, don't do it with a very high efficiency. And James Harden has had some some efficient seasons, some seasons where he's a little bit less efficient, and so to be able to do what Steph Curry is doing is an anomaly. He's scoring at more efficient marks than LeBron James has in in the majority of, of his career. And a lot of people recently have been seeing this, noticing this, watching this and saying, why aren't we talking more about Steph as the MVP of the league? And even other people, when they make the claim that Steph is the best player in the league, are still kind of at a point where they are getting laughed out of the room. Steph has never been considered the best player in the league because it was either LeBron or Kevin Durant over these last five years. So that's our going to be our main topic of the day. That's what we're going to be trying to break down a little bit here is uh, is what Steph Curry doing worth uh, worthy of an MVP compared to some other major candidates like uh, Embiid and Jokic. And is, has Steph been the best player in the NBA this season? Riley, where do you want to start? Um,
1: wow, you know, that's a lot of fantastic stuff to talk about. I, I want to start with another one of my kind of pet theories, if you'll permit me. I'm going to try and keep this as short as possible basically it comes down to the idea that you know this applies in all forms of life right like this is not just basketball but it it basically is that a lot of the time when we say something right like when we use a specific word we mean something different than the common definition of that word and and that disconnect between the definition and and the colloquial understanding is a is a huge place of friction in, in all forms of society not just sports but it, it is particularly noticeable when we use the word best in basketball context, like who is the best player, right? And, and that we say is a different thing than most impactful. We say that's a different thing than most skilled. And to me, this has always been frustrating because I, I, like, I can get it and I can understand that there is a, a criteria for being best that is different than who contributes the most to winning but the fact that those two things are like not the same is is very frustrating right to me the best player is the one that you go right who's gonna help me win the most games and then to the largest degree and for the last five years like if you look at plus minus data on off data offensive rating winning percentage titles you know like all of this if you judge steph by the way he makes his teammates better. I would argue that he's been either the best or second best player in the league and is worthy of being in that conversation. But I understand that when almost everybody else in the world says who is the best player, what they really are saying is who has the fewest weaknesses. They're, they're looking at a, checkbox, uh, a checklist of, of the potential skills that you need to be good at basketball. And they're not rating them as one is more important than the other. They're saying who can do the most things. And so that's why somebody who is seven feet tall in terms of Kevin Durant, and who has, you know, the ability to cross people up and has an unblockable shot, and also is able to block more guys at the rim, is considered better than Steph, even if Steph is probably uh, a more impactful
0: basketball
1: player, right? Like Steph contributes to winning, I think, and, and is able to leverage his gravity and, and his ability at a, at a higher level than KD. I'm not saying KD's a like a scrub, right? That he's not able to carry teams or whatnot, but I just think. There was a reason that in in the playoffs, like the Cavs sold out to stop Steph, and they let Katie waltz down the court for a number of open dunks in the finals. Like the greatest, potentially greatest score of all time. They weren't as scared about him as they were about Steph Curry. And so, I basically this all comes down to like when I hear best, I, I in my head I go, okay, you are counting height in there, you are counting length in there, you are counting like girth like how strong a guy is physically and you're you're going to say Steph can never be better than LeBron because LeBron could hypothetically defend bigger guys or that KD could grab rebounds more often because he's taller my argument is that that best should really just be about winning and should it be about impact because at the end of the day if we're doing the classic Bill Simmons laser aliens you know fate of the world situation it doesn't matter how many different things somebody can do or you know, like, you know, even if Steph is like the worst defensive player in history, if his offense was so good that it made him more impactful than everybody else, I would pick that guy. You know, and so I, I think I just I get frustrated with the way this conversation goes. And I'm wondering what that argument, you know, does that carry weight to you and how, how do you define best and what do you think?
0: Yeah, so. This this is a a question that I have wondered at before, because I think oftentimes to sort of build on what you're saying when people say who is the best player, like even in my brain, when I wonder who is the best player, my brain goes to two entirely inane uh, hypotheticals right away. The first one is if I'm comparing two people, I wonder who would win one on one. And the second thing that my brain goes to is if I could take a player, clone them four times to have five of this player, would they be able to compete against or beat other teams of the cloned best players in the league? Right. And both of those hypotheticals are fun. Both of those hypotheticals are like, like, really do take into account like how complete of a basketball player are you? Because I, I really, do, I really do like believe in like, like why I consider LeBron to be the best player in the league is because he is the most complete player in the league. He can score, pass, and defend at levels that are higher than almost every other person in the league can score, pass, and defend at. But the problem with those two hypotheticals is they have nothing to do with the game of basketball, right? They have nothing to do I mean, with at least five on five basketball with, right? Yeah. They have nothing to do with five on five basketball where you're surrounded by other four teammates. We haven't invented the ability to fully clone people yet. Or if we have, the government is hiding it from us. So we'll, <laughs> we'll never, we'll never be able to figure out whether five LeBrons Absolutely. versus five Kawhis versus five KDs how they would do in a in a tournament of champions, you know? Now, now I'm
1: just sad that we never really stormed Area 51 and got the cloning technology out there with the, the Naruto runners and whatnot. Um,
0: I, I think about that far too much, Riley. <laughs> but, so... Like it, everyone is going to have these different opinions, everyone's going to have uh, their own different uh, definitions, and that's okay, and that's what allows these debates to uh, continue. But I I don't know if it's because the Warriors' dominance was boring by a lot of people. And I promise to everyone listening, this is not a podcast dedicated to convincing you through propaganda purposes that Steph Curry is the uh, best player in the NBA and the MVP. Maybe that's Riley's uh, goal here, but it's, it's certainly not mine. But I think knowing that we take this, these hypotheticals, the one-on-one or the five clone hypotheticals, if we take those away, we, we, we broke down value in players uh, in our MVP, in our midway point of the season MVP conversation. We may have to do it again at the end when we have all of our information in front of us, but if you're interested on in our opinions there, go check out that episode. But I think it is absolutely fair to say, despite how many people may disagree because they're, they're Lakers fans or anyone but Steph fans, Steph belongs in the conversation here. And for anyone who was like, system, system, like star cast of players over the last few years even though they wanted to ignore like all those numbers you said earlier riley what uh his on off splits were when he was surrounded by three all-stars versus no all-stars and how they were consistently better than any other warrior better than clay better than durant when those guys were all off the court and steph was on or when all of them were off and Kevin Durant was on people wanted to ignore how dominant Steph was in those minutes. And I don't know if they can ignore that anymore.
1: Yeah. I I think you saying the word complete just synthesized my entire argument in such a eloquent way. So thank you for that. I think we have to reframe at least, I believe we should reframe the conversation about basketball away from complete to just winning, you know, um, because, being complete doesn't guarantee you anything, right? That's, that's what we've, we've been saying. Um, I, I think, you know, to, to shift this away from Steph a little bit and to, you know, to bring the broader MVP conversation into play, um, I think, you know, Jokic is another interesting character in this this discussion because he's not somebody who looks like a dominant player, right? Like that's another way that I think a lot of us have just, you know, judgment in the back of our heads, right? It's like we have an image and that's part of the reason that's hard for a lot of people to acknowledge that Steph could ever approach an MJ or LeBron in terms of offensive impact is because he's just not that tall and Jokic is not that slim. Um, But I think we're, I'm encouraged that we're starting to see a conversation that allows for the idea that even if you aren't on the top two teams in your league, what you could be doing for your team might actually be really important, might be valuable. And I, I, I believe I said this in our last podcast that I was okay with that Russell Westbrook MVP, you know, even though he was on either a four seed or a six seed, I I'm sorry, I can't remember. Um, and so I think that's not to say that, you know, there shouldn't be a uh, consideration to not punishing guys for having good teammates, right? Like it, it, it's an inherent that if you have bad teammates as the star, you're going to take more shots. You're going to have more burden, have more opportunity to prove yourself. And so it's it's a really difficult thing for us, you know, as humans who are not, you know, perfectly logical and, and perfectly able to like parse this stuff to say, what's the difference between Giannis taking, you know, the last couple of years, a very, very good Bucks team that was just solid in, in all phases of the game and taking them from, you know, 58 wins to like 65 or wherever they ended up on, on again, not fully clear on, on the records, but there, there has to be a way to say that like that, that floor, or sorry, that ceiling raising, right. Like taking a good team to a great team, even if they didn't work out in the playoffs, like, you know, raising their their statistical profile and winning a shit ton of regular season games, which supposedly we all still care about. And that's what this award is about. Right. There is, there is a trade-off between, you know, if he was on an even worse team and had even better stats, like, how do we, how do we balance that? And so I, in my head as this conversation about like should Steph be a part of this and and should Jokic be qualified he's having you know clearly an amazing statistical season and has played 800 more minutes than Embiid so in my head right like I have Jokic as the front runner and I, I would be very comfortable like advocating for him as a winner um and I I just I'm I'm hopeful that we can start to say okay maybe it's a sliding scale right like you get credit for being a ceiling raiser and you also get credit for being a floor raiser and we acknowledge that those are two different things and they're difficult tasks and they're difficult in their own way and it makes it more complicated you know I, I fully acknowledge that and it, it makes it less less fun to be bombastic about this stuff but I, I do really think that you know the conversation that we've had and the way that the the general MBA discussion is is changing is is a good thing
0: yeah and once again, uh, even though if you're if you're listening to to this episode this far into the episode, you know sort of what we're about here at the Hockey Assist, and we are not about trying to generate clickbait titles, instant reaction, uh, recaps, and whatnot. We're more about trying to bring a little bit of rationality to the conversation. So, like you said, like uh, the. Article headline with maybe the sliding scale and a little bit more of a a moderate rationality to the MVP conversation isn't going to garner as many clicks as Embiid is the undisputed MVP and here's why you know like like that's just like that's just not the way that this works you know unfortunately that's not the way that this works but what what, what we what we want to do is try to inject that rationality. So even though you're saying, "Hey, like it's not it's not as fun." For us, it is as fun. It is as important here because uh we saw the Warriors without Steph Curry last year and they were the worst team in the NBA. Right? They're
1: some- right, now, right now they have the worst offense in NBA history without Steph on the court.
0: Yeah, and maybe, because maybe the supporting cast the last
1: couple of weeks. But yeah,
0: yeah, the supporting cast is a bit better this year because heavy minutes for Andrew Wiggins and even the the ghost of Kelly Oubre are <laughs> going to be a little bit more worthwhile than heavy minutes for Kai Bowman and Eric Pascal as yeah, your feature. name. Yeah. As, as your featured offensive players, you know, so the warriors are a, are on the edges a bit better than they were last year. But I, like you said, the, the pieces don't even like last year without Steph, they were, were still trying to run an offense that didn't rely uh, on him and rel- relied on the pieces that they did have. And it was an abject failure. And the offense this year without Steph on the court is worse than that. Like, the, that, the importance that he has to the Warriors is at least could be measured in, what, 15 of their wins, 20 of their wins? Oh, like, yeah,
1: I would say 20. I would say 20. Yeah,
0: Probably. so, so yeah, and watching these last few games has just been putting that importance in all caps you know, watching like him single-handedly will a team to victory. I think that's part of what makes Michael Jordan so beloved in the uh, collective mind of NBA fans is that there were times, especially in the second part of that three-peat where Michael Jordan and his will alone seemed to be what were bringing the bulls to victory. Was that, was it that simple? No, but uh, and these, these Warriors teams probably aren't going to win the title like those MJ teams did just because there is no Scotty Pippen. There is a little bit of a Dennis Rodman, but Steph Curry doesn't have even the guys that Jordan has. But that will to win and willing them to win is, is wickedly impressive. And I hope that even the most Steph-oriented haters like our friend Owen Lem out there can – can appreciate See, is really a steph hater? i didn't know that Yes, yeah, strongly a steph hater strongly oh, okay, a steph hater okay. but
1: uh I'll i i, I hope that there's some stuff. some
0: appreciation that can be that can be done for for how how steph is performing right now
1: sure um i, I agree like wholeheartedly with all, all of that of course um so now Nolan, i really want i like want to shift this to like who is your pick at the moment for MVP and has the kind of recent discussion changed the criteria that you would use, right? Do you think that this should be more of a best player in the NBA? Do you think like this recent run has established Steph as, as the best player? Like, where do you kind of come down on, on this debate? You know, we've talked about the debate. Let's have the debate. you know?
0: Yeah. So in, in terms of the best player this season, like I am a, I am a big believer in uh, I am I am a big believer in considering all sides of of the equation. Quite obviously, and with all sides of the equation looked at, for me it really comes down to the the three names that we've mentioned so far. Because with the amount of missed time, guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis aren't able to quite have had the same effect, and uh, Dame. Has who was my original pick for MVP at the midway point of the season. Uh, his overall shortcomings are reflective of some of the Blazers' uh, shortcomings of late, especially defensively. Someone like Giannis has actually relinquished a lot of his offensive role to Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. And the numbers are, are still impressive, but with him relinquishing some of that a little bit, it, it does come down to the dominance this season of Jokic, Embiid, and Curry. Those three things have, have impressed me beyond just about anything else. And uh Embiid has had one big bigger, bigger injury scare. Steph had a little bit of one himself with his uh sprained butt, as a lot of people were were liking to joke. Yeah, wait, but, hold up, sorry. We
1: have to acknowledge that this entire run has been with him wearing a butt pad because his tailbone still hurts to the point that like walking is not comfortable. That's I just completely forgot about that until you brought it up, and, and it's a, just another you know little thing that makes this whole thing so much more mind blowing.
0: Yeah, that that being said, I don't know if any player like like Embiid like, and, and is fun to watch when he's at his best. I don't know if a primarily interior scoring player can be the best player in today's NBA. So for me, it comes down to the electricity of Steph and the absolute unstoppable, like slow moving freight train that is Nikola Jokic. And I don't know if I like it. It it surprises me to say that a guy like Jokic could be the best player in the NBA this year, but that man is, ridiculously good and the the Nuggets have yet to fully stumble without Jamal Murray I don't know if their ceiling is as high without Jamal Murray but Jokic has been a bigger part of his his team's offense and movement and everything than even Steph has I'm blown away by Jokic and I feel like with with LeBron missing the amount of time that he has had Kevin Durant missing the time everything that's gone on with James Harden like I think this might be the year that Jokic steps up as the bet, at least in the regular season. All all things will be will be shown in the postseason, but in the regular season, has Jokic not been the best player in the league? What do you think? I I, hmm, it's really close, right? Like
1: I, I still think two way impact counts, and so I for my money, I might still pick Giannis. Yes, yeah, so I I still am, you know, a little bit. Leading towards being complete. Um, and that's in terms of, of defense too, because I think, you know, someone like Giannis who, who is such a great defensive player and a great offensive player, right? Like it's not like, you know, he's, he's half of the puzzle. Um, I would put him in that conversation still, even if his, his playmaking duties aren't up there, right? I think his stats have been, especially recently, really, really, really good. Um, and, and pretty, pretty on par with, you know, what he's been doing the last couple of years. So I, I find it hard to exclude him. Um, I, I think in terms of winning, you know, what we were talking about earlier and impact. Yeah. I think it's Steph still. Um, even if he doesn't have the assist totals or the, the rebound totals that Yoko has just been racking up. Um, you know, I just think that there is more fear about Steph. Um, and his, his efficiency is even still, you know, above Jokic, i believe at the moment um and so it's really close between kind of for me those three guys with lebron you know very very near to that pack but but just his health has kind of removed him from the conversation and and bead again like i mentioned earlier it's like it's a minutes thing for me right it's like you have to play a certain level of game and have your impact for a certain level of time before i'm willing to put you in that conversation. I think he's a monster at his peak, but he doesn't reach that peak quite as often as the other guys. And I think, like you said, Jokic has just been on a tear for, I don't know, the last three weeks, four weeks. You know, he had a game the other night where he hit 20 field goals, which I didn't realize how rare that was, but it's, it's astronomically rare. And, you know, everything he was doing, it was, it was pure. There was like just no, no rim when he was shooting. Right. Like, he was tipping in, you know, he's offensive rebounding like a monster too. is not just a guy who's, you know, hanging out the perimeter or dishing from the elbow. You know, he's he's involved in every single facet of the game. And so I I guess I should have had a better answer for this question. I'm, I'm going to lean Steph, I think, because of my personal bias. I fully support Jokic for the MVP because I think like him, you know, you are right. He is involved in even more than Steph on offense um, directly, right? Like whether it's passing and rebounding. And so, and I don't think he has teammates that I trust as much as I would trust Draymond. So I, I'm splitting hairs here. Honestly, and like I, I should have come prepared with a better answer to my own question, but I, I would be fine if anyone was to tell me any of those three guys, Giannis, Steph, or Jokic was the best player in the league. As far as MVP, I I I said it before. You know, Jokic is my pick right now because he's he's done this the whole season. He's done it with injuries to to some of his teammates. You know, with changing roster, Aaron Gordon coming in, and then dealing with uh, injuries to to Murray earlier this season, and and just to be that consistent, that effective, that diverse in your impact, and that unstoppable. Right, like nobody can do anything about him because, like you said, he's moving slower you know, shout out to, to slow-mo Kyle Anderson. He's, he's got that same motion going on, right? Where you just, you think, how is this working? Why is this working? And yet there he is at the rim. He, he did a pirouette, like a, a spin movie the other night that I was just like, what? That doesn't make any sense, but it's a joy to watch. And so I, I would be, be overjoyed for a guy with that unique of a, a physical and aesthetic style to, to beat the face of the league and and to win MVP.
0: Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you bringing Giannis into the conversation because like, it has frustrated me a little bit that like Giannis has after winning the two MVPs, the voter fatigue news cycle fatigue has sort of dropped him from the news cycle, which is like, and he hasn't been factoring in the conversation that we've had today, which is probably a a chicken or the egg sort of conversation, but really, really got to wonder, you know, like, is is this season that Giannis is having with a better supporting cast and like similar, uh, improvements in, in a few different areas. Like he, like he should still be in the conversation for, for best player in the league. So thank you for doing that. And, uh, I just, I just went and checked some, some numbers a little bit. Uh, Steph has a higher usage rating than Jokic this year He as he's in the 50, 40, 90 club. The only thing keeping Jokic from the 50, 40, 90 club is his 85 percent free throw percentage, which is which is still very strong. So he's flirting with a with a 50, 40, 90. Uh, But I also appreciate the point that you made, which was that uh, Jokic has been doing this all season and curry was having fits and starts at the beginning so even though this 11 game stretch of curry's is probably more impressive than any 11 game stretch that jokic has had this year jokic has just been a like a force of nature that racks up all of the uh, important plays for a team he has been the heart of the the heart and soul of a team for an entire season very effectively. And that's probably why Denver is in the fourth seed as opposed to the Warriors, which are a playing team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to put it. And I, you know, to echo things that I said earlier, I just think it's, it's dope that we're evolving beyond the stupid, okay. If they're not on the top two teams in the league, um, you know, you can't be, in consideration for this work, and, and that reminds me there was an apology that I need to make. Um, and this is going to surprise a lot of people, but I need to apologize to one James Harden. Um, because I think you know, in the last five years, when he was having his Herculean scoring run of 30 points a game for it was like 30, 30 games in a row, um, I I dismissed it a little bit, right? Like I I fully admit that I'm a hater and I don't enjoy him or the way that he plays. And I kind of minimized the impact of, of what he was doing. Um, but you know, in hindsight, it was really fucking impressive the way that he carried those rockets teams, um, you know, especially before CP or CP hurt, um, to, to the heights that he did, you know? And I think, back in the day I might have used the the like I don't know wins or like you know place in the standings argument against him more than I should have you know I I still do think that it it matters how many games you win right like that we, we said this all day like winning winning counts um but I was probably more dismissive of that that campaign and and that you know run and and the meaning of it than than I should be and, and I again apologize to James Harden for that so I still, I still, you know, like would have picked Steph over him because I think efficiency is a key point there, right? Like, you know, what Steph's doing right now is, is blowing Harden's efficiency back in the day out of the water, right? Like he, he's doing it on, on fewer shots and, and scoring more, um, and, and way fewer few free throws. Um, but at the same time, right? Like that, that was a really impressive run and, and Harden's very good at what he does.
0: There you have it, folks. Riley, that was very big of you. That was very big of you to, to make that apology. Uh, e- even the most diehard of Warriors fans, he's wearing uh, a Warriors jacket right now. Even the most diehard of Warriors fans can can come to find a bit of appreciation for James Harden in their hearts.
1: All right. Um, we, could, we could keep going on this
0: all day, Nolan. Um,
1: but so will you give us your final the final, if you had, let's say a five or six or, you know, however many people you think quote unquote belong in this conversation, where is your final MVP ballot at this moment? If you had, uh, if you had the power right now, where would you, where would you rank? everybody?
0: My final, my final, uh, at this moment would probably be, I'd give my fifth place vote to Dame because he's still a, uh, very, very special basketball player my fourth place vote to LeBron because he was an MVP front runner up until his injuries. And, uh, maybe the injuries knocking someone out of the race there could be a conversation we have, uh, a little bit later on. Yeah. But that was
1: something I meant to, I meant to bring up, but next time,
0: next, next time, next time uh, third place I'd give Embiid second place. I'd, I'd vote for, I'd vote for Steph. And Jokic, I would give my my number one vote because he's he's been doing it all season long.
1: I love it. I love it. Okay, for me, I think I'm going LeBron at five. Um, even you know the time missed. Maybe this is just like a charity kind of case thing and, and legacy, but whatever. Uh, four, I'm I'm putting Giannis on there. Three, I I really struggle between um, Embiid and Steph. Honestly, because I think Embiid has been massive, and uh, if he had been healthy, I would have no trouble putting him over Steph. But I'm going to go Embiid three, Steph two, and Jokic one. So we we're pretty aligned on that, and I guess it makes for less interesting podcast. But cool. Uh, any other any other closing thoughts you have? So before that's we it off? for me, friend. All right. Uh, well. That is it for today. We could keep this going and we might even have like a part three on MVP as we get down to the uh, the end of the season. Please let us know how you feel about this entire conversation and and the award and the players, because we'd love to hear your thoughts. Otherwise we're going to wrap it up and and save the rest for later. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, This has been the hockey assist. You can look for new episodes dropping usually each week. We'll, we'll get back on that schedule. Uh, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review, and all that good stuff. If you have feedback, again, you can reach out to us personally. You can leave a comment, or you can hit us up at hockey underscore assist on Twitter. We hope you enjoy the show, and we can't wait for you to hear the episodes that we've recorded recently, and the ones we're going to record in the future. So, uh, for Nolan Cope, I am Riley Gaucher and we are checking out of episode 14, I believe, of the Hockey Assist. Thank you all for tuning in, and have a great week.